You have an argument with somebody or you want to get your way and somebody takes a, a different way. The natural tendency, the conventional human wisdom is to argue. Whoever argues the best or whoever's bigger than the other person wins the argument. The Bible says to pray. Pray for those who use you. Pray for those who hate you. Instead of telling someone off, we're to love them, the Bible says. We're to speak words of encouragement. We're to forgive them. If the old man is malicious and, is in, and bitter in the way he responds to people and his attitude, the new man speaks words of love. He builds up. The new man forgives. And that goes against our natural tendency. Pastor Steve will be right here in a minute to develop that thought. You're probably familiar with what happened in Joshua chapter 6. Simply put, God told Joshua and the Hebrew people to march around the city once a day for six days. Then on the seventh day, they were to march seven times around Jericho. Finally, they were to sound their trumpets and shout. Then, as the popular children's song put it, and the walls came tumbling down. Well, it sure doesn't make sense, does it? They used no battering rams, no catapults. Of course, they hadn't been invented yet anyway and they didn't try to build any ramps or ladders. While the people of Jericho probably laughed at them from the top of their walls, the Hebrew children just marched and shouted in obedience to God, and He did the rest. There are lots of things that God tells us to do that don't make any sense in a human way. But when we do them in trusting obedience, God proves Himself faithful to His Word every time. Welcome, friends, to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class led by pastor-teacher Steve Kreloff. We are well into our study of the heroes of the faith described in Hebrews chapter 11. Today's class is the middle part of a three-part message. It's Pastor Steve's ninth message about the faith chapter. God wants us to use what we might call unconventional approaches to obstacles and problems. Let's find out what they are. Here is Pastor Steve. Now, I have never been in the military, but I know that that's not how you normally take a city. That's a strange thing. Even in ancient times, uh, there are no military weapons mentioned here, no battering ram to break down the walls of the city. That's an odd thing to say. Why did God say that? Why did he tell the Israelites to do it this way? Very peculiar way. And here's the answer. Because God wanted to establish at the very beginning of their days in the promised land, they had never been there before, that they could trust him, that he had the power to do anything, that there was nothing impossible with him. They couldn't take credit for this. What a silly thing to do. There, there was no credit that they could that they could take. Joshua couldn't say, you know, it was because of my brilliant strategy that, that we overcame the city. No, and, and this is what the writer to the Hebrews is telling us. He's saying that the walls of Jericho came crashing down because the people of Israel believed God's word. And that's the only reason. Now, regardless of the fact, uh, of the fact that this approach I mean, the walls came down, but think about it. This approach made absolutely no sense to them, and they were probably ridiculed by the Jerichoites. I think that's what you'd call them, Jerichoites. Uh, think about this, how embarrassing. If you were there and, and you were one of the soldiers, you know, these walls around the city were so massive that people could actually stand on these walls and look down. Could you imagine the abuse, the verbal abuse these Jewish people would take by the Jerichoites? I mean, I can't even imagine. They'd probably laugh at them. Knowing human de depraved nature, they'd probably threw things down. 
I mean, they do that at baseball games to ball players. So why wouldn't they do it back then to people? Probably threw things down on them. And, and, and God said, don't even say a word. Don't even say a word. It just marched around. It must have been embarrassing. They must have looked silly. They must have thought that uh, we really look like oddballs doing this. You know, sometimes the greatest obstacle we have to faith is our pride. There are times when God tells us to do something that just absolutely goes against our, our nature, our tendency, our humanness, and sometimes that's the biggest obstacle is, uh, is how we think. Now, I want you to know that this is still the way faith in God's word works today. We all have obstacles that face us. All kinds of obstacles, marital obstacles, business obstacles, family obstacles, financial obstacles, just, just all kinds of situations that, are, that, that can be imposing and can be intimidating. And the natural tendency to conquer these obstacles is by conventional human, rational wisdom and our own resources. That is something that all of us naturally think of first. But I want you to know, that if, if there's anything that Hebrews 11 verse 30 teaches us is that you don't approach problems and obstacles in a conventional manner. Now, God is not saying by this that you walk around your problems seven times and shout. That's, that's not the point. What he is saying is that his word gives us the, the direction as to how to handle these challenges. Let me give you some examples. And obviously, we can't apply everything in every situation, but... Uh, you have an argument with somebody or you want to get your way and somebody takes an, a, a different way. The natural tendency, the conventional human wisdom is to argue. Whoever argues the best or whoever's bigger than the other person wins the argument. The Bible says to pray. Pray for those who, who use you. Pray for those who hate you. How about this? Instead of telling someone off, we're to love them, the Bible says. We're to speak words of encouragement. We're to forgive them. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks about that. The old man is malicious and, is, and, and bitter in the way he responds to people and his attitude. The new man speaks words of love. He builds up. The new man forgives. Now, that goes against our natural tendency. That, that is as silly to, to our humanists as it was for Joshua and the Israelites to march around Jericho. How about this? Somebody cheats you. What's the natural tendency we have? The first thought is, I'll sue. I'll sue them. And yet, 1 Corinthians, and I'm talking about what if a believer does this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that you are not to sue. You are not to take another believer to court. What do you do? You get some spiritual godly leaders together and they can mediate for you. And if that, if that doesn't work out, then the Bible says, then just be cheated and keep your testimony. That's not, that's not natural. That's silly to the human mind. Those who don't know Christ, if they hear this, they would ridicule us just like I'm sure the Jerichoites ridicule the Israelites. How about you have financial problems like paying your bills and you're getting more in debt or you're getting close to debt and, and the natural tendency is to do what? Worry. Why pray when you can worry? Worry about it. And yet the Bible says very clearly in Matthew 6.33 that God knows what you need. First, seek his kingdom and do what's right. Stop worrying about it. Do what's right and the Lord will take care of you. How about this? You have some, some marital conflicts and tremendous obstacles. You live with someone who is terrible. 
Well, the, the natural tendency is to say, if I only had somebody else or this person that I live with changed. Bible says just the opposite. The Bible says you're to change. You're responsible for one person. Ephesians 5.18, just before dealing with marriage, the Apostle Paul says, hey, be filled with the Spirit of God. And once you're filled with the Spirit of God, then you will be a servant to your spouse or a servant to your children or child. So instead of the natural tendency is to shift the blame to somebody else. If this was only different, things would be okay. God says, if you were only different, things would be okay. Don't worry about the other person. You take care of yourself. See, that's th those are all ridiculous as far as human wisdom is concerned. Instead of a wife trying to win her husband to Christ by preaching him into the kingdom and nagging him, 1 Peter chapter 3 says, do something different. You are to be submissive. You are to win him by godly submissiveness. Don't concentrate on outward beauty. Concentrate on inward beauty. That doesn't mean neglect outward beauty. I just want to add that. It just means don't concentrate on that. What, what we're dealing with is, is the way we fight satanic warfare. Because these obstacles are really satanic warfare. And uh, the way we fight satanic warfare is not by human wisdom but by doing what God says, even if it goes against what makes sense to us, even if it looks ridiculous to your friends and relatives. Let's look at, uh, and, and you might want to put a bookmark at Joshua chapter 6, but let's look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is a great verse because it just kind of sums up everything. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, sums it up when it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. They're not fleshly, but they're powerful for the destruction of fortresses. There are many fortresses that need to fall before us, but you don't do it in your own wisdom, because you'll never have those fortresses fall. What are the weapons God has given us to fight this spiritual war in which we struggle daily? The Apostle Paul described them in Ephesians chapter 6. Pastor Steve will take us there right after we greet those of you who just tuned in, and we'd like to bring you up to speed as to what's going on. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. While Pastor Steve continues serving at Lakeside, Verse by Verse Ministries makes his messages available to you through this radio station as well as the Internet. If you missed the start of class, you can hear it again at our website, versebyverseradio.org. I'll give you that address again at the end of the broadcast, and I'll also tell you how you can order an audio CD or a cassette tape with the entire message. We need to start heading back to the classroom now. Pastor Steve is in the middle of a three-part message about the heroes of the faith, taken from Hebrews chapter 11. It's his eighth message on the topic and his ninth overall from that great chapter. We're about to make a little side trip to Ephesians chapter 6 for a look at some great weapons available to us in our spiritual war with the world system, our own sin nature, and behind it all, Satan himself. Here is Pastor Steve with the rest of today's lesson. What are the weapons of our warfare? Well, Ephesians chapter 6 tells us about those weapons. 
In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, put on the full armor of God, just like a Roman soldier who goes to war wouldn't, wouldn't think of going out without being properly dressed. So you're in warfare. Go out properly dressed. What are some of the weapons of our warfare? Well, he writes this. And by the way, he says, for the, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, verse 12, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You may think that it's this person you live with or this boss you have over you or somebody who has a conflict with you, but that's not where the battle really is. The battle is behind the scenes, even if the people don't recognize it, it's spiritual warfare, so you take on spiritual armor. He says in, in uh Verse 14, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. So the first thing you need is truth, truth of God's word. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, you need godliness. You don't go to warfare uh, and, and expect to be carnal and you're going to have victory. You need to make sure that your sins are confessed, that you're walking with the Lord, that you're submissive to him, because Satan will have a field day with you if you're not. Righteousness. Then verse 15, and shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We bring the gospel of peace. We tell people that you can have peace with God. We have peace with God. Therefore, anybody who opposes us, we realize that God doesn't oppose us. We have peace with him. Verse 16, in addition to all taking up the shield of faith, you need faith. That's another weapon. Faith, trust in God's word, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Then he says in verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Why do you need a helmet? To protect your mind. You have to think right. You have to think correctly. You have to think properly about salvation. You have assurance of your salvation. You're not worrying about it. You're not doubting whether you're really saved or not. And he says in the sword of the spirit, and he explains to us, what's that? It's the word of God. And then he also speaks about prayer in the next verse. And I take it that prayer would be very, very critical in, in all this and the weapons of our warfare. That's the way we fight satanic warfare. Now, just like the Israelites in Joshua's day, we overcome what looks like insurmountable obstacles by faith. Faith in God's word, not faith in your feelings, not faith, well, I wish it would come down. Faith in God's word, a faith that is obedient. Joshua and the Israelites were obedient to what God said, even if it looks silly to them. And they were patient. It must have taken a great deal of patience to march around there six times and then seven times, and then on the seventh day, seven more times. But they obeyed God. How about you? How about in your life? What is God? What does God's word say about your problems, about your insurmountable obstacles? Well, maybe the reason some of these walls are not falling down in your in your life is because number one, you're not being obedient to what God's word says. You're trying to handle the problems in your own strength, and you're only going to have more problems. And secondly, maybe you are being obedient, but you're not being patient. Patient. You know, the Israelites didn't walk around there the first time and say, when is God going to do this? This is ridiculous. They're laughing at us. They were patient. And you need to carry out God's instructions until God causes your obstacles to collapse before you. So first of all, faith overcomes obstacles as we see in the fall of Jericho. You have obstacles before you? They'll fall if you follow God's word, not your own cleverness. And not what seems right to you, but what God says. Secondly, we see that faith overcomes obstacles as demonstrated in the faith of a woman by the name of Rahab. And verse 31, verse 31 of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about Rahab. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. 
Of all of the heroes of faith, this woman whose name is Rahab is the most surprising to see in this list. She is the most unlikely, and there are a few reasons. Number one, she is, she was a harlot. That is to say, she was a prostitute. She was a woman practicing a lifestyle completely contrary to God's code of morals. There have been people down through the years who have tried to soften this expression, and they're not very comfortable that in the, in the Hall of Fame you have a prostitute. And so they've tried to soften the Hebrew expressions by, by saying she was a hostess. I'm not kidding, they say that. They say, well, the Hebrew word could mean, or she was an innkeeper. Then there's a Greek manuscript that actually says she was a so-called harlot. The, the scribes couldn't write, she was a harlot. Well, the fact of the matter is that she was a harlot. The Greek word is, is porna, porne, from which we get our word pornography, porne. She was a prostitute. I don't think she continued that, but that's what she was. Secondly, it's un, she's an unlikely candidate to be a hero of faith because she was a pagan Gentile Canaanite, specifically an Amorite, and they were specifically marked out for destruction. Genesis 15, verse 16 tells us about that. She was raised in a thoroughly pagan environment of a, of a people that all, except her, and perhaps her family, rejected the truth. They knew the truth, they rejected it. Yet it was this pagan, immoral woman who had faith in the God of Israel. And the story that reveals her faith is found in connection with the destruction of Jericho. That's why it all ties in together. Let's turn back to Joshua. Though we look now at Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two spies, two men as spies, secretly from Shittim, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went out and they came into the house of a harlot whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, why did they go to a harlot's house? Now, keep in mind, he's sending two spies. Go check out the land of Canaan, uh, especially Jericho. Tell us about the walls. Tell us about how hard it will be, this and that. And so they go to a harlot's house. Why? Were they looking for immorality? No, no. They just needed a place to, to hide, and that was the best place since prostitutes received their guests without discrimination. And also, they are always open. They never close, especially at night. And this appears to be the time that these two men came there. So that's why they came there. We just want to uh, set the record straight for these men, whoever they were. So let's read on. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the lands. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out, and I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the hidden, uh, and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued them on the road to Jordan, to the Jordan, to the fords, and as soon as they, uh, as soon as those who were pursuing them had gone, out, they shut the gate. Now, let's stop here for a moment because this portion of scripture, neglected, I might add, uh, by a lot of commentaries, because I don't want to get into this, but I am going to get into this because 
uh, it raises a question of one, and one that has puzzled a lot of Christians. And, and it's this. Did God approve of Rahab's lie? She lied. She lied. The woman lied. And the question, did God approve of it? In other words, since her, her lie resulted in saving the lives of two Israelite spies, was her, her lie justifiable? And the broader question for us, and this is why I raise this, not just to answer a Bible uh, difficulty, but the broader question for us is this, is it ever right to lie if good things result from it or if the motives are good? Now, let's, let's address this. You probably have opinions on it. Let's, let's look at this. There is no question, first of all, there is no question about it that the Bible commends Rahab. But what does it commend her for? Not her lie. It commends her for her faith. Keep that in mind. She is commended for her faith and her faith only. She's certainly not commended for being a prostitute. She's not commended for lying. She's commended because she believed God. In fact, in James chapter 2, verse 25, she's mentioned again uh, for this very act. And it says her faith evidenced that she had, her works evidence rather, that she had real faith. She's listed with Abraham as someone who evidenced faith by her works. So we want to establish that. She's not commended for a lie, commended for faith. Secondly, the Bible clearly condemns lying, and it doesn't qualify it. It doesn't say that you could lie, but you might. Uh, you, you should never lie, but you might in this occasion do it. it it's, it's very clear. In fact, let me just read to you some, some portions of Scripture. Leviticus 19, verse 11. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. It can't be any clearer than that. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. You might want to write some of this down. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. How about the New Testament? The New Testament says the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, the same thing that the Old Testament says. It says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Don't lie, speak the truth. It sounds like Rahab was a believer in situational ethics. In other words, it's okay to do something wrong, as long as it is well-intentioned and it brings about good results. Lots of people buy into the idea that the end justifies the means, but God doesn't. We saw in a previous class that Jacob tricked his father into giving him the blessing that God had planned for him. He used evil means to bring about something good, but God never endorsed that either. Both Jacob and Rahab missed a great opportunity to see God show himself strong. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will continue this subject in our next verse-by-verse -verse class. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. If you are ever in the Clearwater area on a Sunday morning, we would love to meet you. Lakeside is located at 1893 Sunset Point Road, midway between U.S. Highway 19 and The Beaches. Please stay around after the service to give Pastor Steve a chance to meet you. He would be delighted. These radio Bible classes of the air are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their local church. If you missed the start of class, you can catch it again on the internet. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. You can listen online or download the program for later. 
We offer a free podcasting service if you want to be able to listen on your computer or MP3 player. We make previous broadcasts available on our archives page if you would like to go back and hear any of those. And while you're visiting, maybe you'd like to sign up for our complimentary newsletter. You'll find all that and more at versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was one part of a longer message on the heroes of the faith. If you would like to hear the entire message all at one time, please call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. You can order either an audio CD or a cassette tape. Pastor Steve will have more to say about the relationship between faith and truth-telling before returning to the main topic, that is Rahab's great example of faith and what we can learn from it. That's on the next Verse by Verse. We hope to see you then. 